<clears throat> this is November 30th, 2019, and uh, do my uh, usual overview of the 16 precepts and uh, the whole ceremony of uh, Jukai or receiving the precepts that will happen at 5 o'clock this afternoon. Um, and uh, I'm going to find a little bit different take on what I usually do on the day of the uh, Jukai ceremony. But first, as to why we even have this why do we receive, why do, what are these precepts and why do we receive them? Well, I always go back to the three most important things about uh, any kind of success. I'll use that word, it's, it's all right. In, in, in practice, the three legs of Zen practice uh, are the, the precepts, meditation, and awakening. And the, the connection among these things is, a, is an extremely important one. Um, why would anyone take these precepts? I remember thinking it's just, I had no use for religion and, uh, and all of its goody-goody stuff and do this and don't do that. Uh, but it's, it's in, in Zen, it's much more practical than that. It's not about being good and and, and although we have those precepts, what it, what, it, what it really comes down to, why? Why do we want to avoid doing wrong and, uh, and instead to do good? Uh, well, first of all, it's our, our sitting, not just sitting, our more broadly speaking, our meditation practice, which includes everything, in our, everything we do in activity, that is, is going to be compromised, the purity or the clarity of our sitting and our moving zazen is going to be compromised to the degree that we are troubled by things that we've said and done that have hurt other people, things that we regret. So morality doesn't, as we usually think of it, doesn't even have to enter it. It's very practical. It's practice. Practice. How can we practice more, most effectively? Well, by not doing things that get lodged in the mind and cause us to feel remorse and gum up things when we're when we're trying to get free of our thoughts. So that's how the the morality, so-called uh, shila. It's the, the Sanskrit word is s i l a, pronounced shila. Uh, another translation for it is discipline, which probably, for all of these reasons, might be a better translation. Having the discipline to not give way to things that are going to catch up to us when we're trying to sit. But then also the effect of our actions and words on our prospects for awakening. And this is how that works. The number one obst obstruction in coming to awakening is believing that we're not already enlightened. That's the big barrier that probably all of us, to one degree or another, that we cling to before awakening is that, yes, we may believe in it, 
as something that can happen, but uh, not to me, because look at all these bad habits I have and all these these bad thoughts I have. That's, I guess, sort of the way I remember it. Um, the, the, the more we can avoid uh, wrong and do good, uh, the more that that uh, delusion of our of our of our our flawed uh, the delusion of our unenlightened nature that's the delusion that we don't have this originally enlightened nature all of us equally the more that fades the more we can uh, the more we can live in accordance with these precepts the more believable it becomes that we are essentially whole and complete. We have boundless wisdom, compassion without limit. So that that leg of the tripod, uh, discipline, morality, Sheila, that has very strong power to either help us sit more effectively or the, the opposite and the same with uh, our, our odds of finally letting go of this delusion that we are any less than anyone else that we this delusion that we do not have this bright luminous mind of enlightenment The other, maybe, maybe more obvious reason we want to live up to these precepts uh, is because we just don't want to hurt people or ourselves. That's really what it comes down to. These are all the sixteen precepts are just way and a way of articulating the ways that we can harm, cause harm, or not cause harm. And again, the idea of right and wrong isn't really necessary. Okay, we can all agree that, that basically that's what we're talking about is right and wrong, but we don't really need that, those words. It's just not causing unnecessary harm or the opposite. Who wouldn't want that? I don't think you have to be religious to want to not cause harm to people. There's there's almost nothing in the koan system, the hundreds of koans, about the precepts. I think you know. I can only think of one, actually, one in the Blue Cliff record where that's mentioned, and I might wonder why why that is. Uh, I think uh, the primary reason is that each each koan is a kind of a is a story or a way of of through which we can access our true nature this original nature of ours that is uh beyond right and wrong but at the same time I think that a more practical uh, 
hypothesis is that they're never mentioned. It's never mentioned in the in the precepts uh, because. I think in, in ancient China, that's where these koans come from, China, that it would have been assumed that by the time you were uh, practicing Zen, or certainly on these koans, uh, that you would have done a deep investigation into the precepts. Many of these great masters uh, worked in the, uh, or practiced in the Vinaya tradition of Zen, or rather, excuse me, the Vinaya tradition of Buddhism. And the Vinaya is that which in which you make a a study, uh, practice of mastering these precepts. And some of the greatest masters came to Zen after having delved into and practiced Vinaya first. Anyway, don't know really, but uh, I think more the first explanation is is just that that. Zen always directs us to what is beyond right and wrong, beyond morality. This mind, this original mind that is unscored by ideas of good and bad and right and wrong. And that's what each koan does in its, in its own way. In the ceremony, we start with uh, the repentance uh, ritual, reciting it, uh, but I'm going to just postpone that till uh, later and um, just get into uh, the, the, the first of the 16 precepts. First three of the 16 precepts were the, the three general resolutions. And these sound so childlike in their formulation. Um, never found need, we need to spend much time on them because they're they're general. That's hence the word general. Three general resolutions. They they speak in general, broad terms about uh, not causing harm, but doing good. The first one is I resolve to avoid wrong. We used to say evil. I resolve to avoid evil, but uh, and I know that's widely used that term evil. But uh, I I recoil from it as a as a noun. I mean, I, you could see that people can do evil things, um, but uh, as this abstract noun, uh, I think it's 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 too easy for us to uh, cheat on these precepts. It's too easy to cut ourselves some slack and say, well, it's not after all, it's not evil. You know, for me to for me to lie now and then, or or uh, have you know get drunk now and then, it's not evil. Come on, evil is a strong word. So, so a year or two ago, I switched this to I resolved to avoid wrong, which also has problems, but that's what we settled on for now. I resolved to avoid wrong. The second is I resolved to do good, and the third is I resolved to liberate all living beings. So for the first one, I resolve to avoid wrong. Oh, and then, then and then, by the way, the the last ten precepts, the ten cardinal precepts, just articulate uh, more in more detail what these these two are. 
uh, avoiding wrong and doing good. There's this, uh, this wonderful golden rule, uh, do unto others as they would have you do unto the, as you would have them do unto you. But I, I once, uh, gave a Tesho on a book, um, called The User Illusion. It's a, it's a, by a neuro, it's a, the book is about neuroscience and how, uh, in a way, that's a misunderstanding of human nature to say, uh, do unto others as you would have them do. In other words, the, the more, he said, the more, what, what, what is supported more by the data, uh, neuroscience, is the Old Testament version, which is a resolve not to do to others what I would have them not do to me. And, and the reason, the argument, is that all we really have in terms of dealing with our impulses is veto control. That impulses arise. Impulses that can cause harm to ourselves and to others. Uh, we can't um, try to imagine that those aren't going to happen to one degree or another, depending on how long we've been practicing. So the impulses arise, and then, and then really, it's enough just to veto them. We do have that power, veto power. I ran across an article when I was uh, reading last night uh, and preparing for Teisho that uh, of a, a res- reporting on research of a, of a phenomenon they call morning morality effect that uh, that our our willpower uh, kind of runs out as we get tired and that uh, we're more likely to be able to veto our our most destructive impulses in the morning rather than at night when we're likely to be what they call have brain deplete brain depletion someone said uh nothing good happens after midnight Resolve to avoid wrong it really means not to be deceived by the notion of separation. Because that's, that's when we do wrong, when we're buying into other, self and other. The Buddha said somewhere that Mara, Mara is a kind of in popular Buddhism, the uh, Buddhist Satan. Mara has access to people by means of whatever things in the world they cling to. So anyone can do this, do an in, do a inventory of uh, what they cling to, uh, starting with thoughts, of course, but but then. Attachments, generally. And this is where Mara 
has open season on us. And we have a, 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 a headwind now that the Buddha didn't have and that no one really had until a few decades ago, which is the influence of the Internet. To avoid wrong, it helps to avoid bad people, the company of bad people. Someone said, a man is known by the company he avoids. And never before, never before in previous centuries, have we had access to so many, so much of wrong company as we do through online platforms. And this is a theme I'm going to bring into this Tay Show today, is how uh, the internet uh, makes it harder to avoid wrong and do good. In most cases, though there's no one exception I'm going to mention. So, I, I, I'm convinced that uh, although we know there are positive things about the internet in terms of connectivity, um, that it's a scourge. It's especially social media. When you consider the horrible hatreds that are just running wild in politics and the mass shootings and all, the, the, the internet is not the only cause, of course. It's never just one cause to anything. It's multiple primary and secondary causes and conditions. But I'm afraid that we have struck a Faustian bargain here, and we, for all of the marvels of the internet, um, it's destroying culture. And, and we'll, little by little, it's a kind of a virus, yes, um, be the greatest greatest challenge we can that we are facing now. The second general resolution I resolve to do good. One way to understand this is it's just the absence of the three poisons. Three poisons they they will be reciting them mentioning them in the uh, repentance got uh, repentance verse this afternoon three poisons po- three poisons are greed ill will and delusion or confusion so to do good is is just we do good when we are free of greed or avarice of ill will in its many forms hostility enmity hatred anger we use the word anger in the repentance gatha just because it's it's a lot of I think it's the most widely used translation, but it's really very limited. Anger is just one form of ill will. Um, I mean, anger is different from hatred. You can, we can get angry, and it can actually bring us closer to someone if we can if we can uh, express that anger in a non-destructive way. But hatred is is something else. So I just went with the, right now, 
we use anger in the in the ceremony, but right now I'm uh, mentioning these other other ways to understand ill will or hostility. How do we know when we're doing good? Well, we really can't be sure. Uh, we can we can do things that feel good uh, for a while, but can prove to be deceptive. Uh, Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln said, when I do good, I feel good. When he said that, I think he was uh, speaking more about uh, what we might say is trusting the body, trusting the, the sense we have, the feeling in our gut um, when we, we say or do something that we know is, is, is in harmony with our true nature. Doing good has acquired this, this special meaning in Asia of merit. Uh, that when we do good, we accumulate merit, and merit then we will, we will reap uh, merit later. In, in, these, in countries where they believe in rebirth, it's often seen in those terms that uh, if we do enough good things, good deeds, then we'll have enough merit uh, to have a favorable rebirth. And it's, uh, we all know what, uh, what, how Bodhidharma answered the emperor when the emperor Wu uh, asked him, uh, the emperor had been doing all kinds of good deeds, building monasteries and supporting monks and nuns. And uh, with some, with no doubt with some fishing for, for uh, confirmation, he said, uh, what is there? He said to Bodhidharma, what is the merit in all this? And Bodhidharma said, no merit at all. Now, it's, we have to understand that that's just one side of the truth. That's the emptiness side, that there's no anything. There's no merit. There are no cars or people or... Dogs or cats. This, that, that he was speaking from the the essential point of view, the absolute, and he was he was doing that because uh, he was trying to disabuse the emperor of his attachment to the other side of gain and loss, right and wrong. So Bodhidharma said, "No merit at all," but I believe there's merit every time we. Are generous, let's say, I mean, that comes to mind at this time of year. Anytime we can support um, life-affirming organizations, uh, the, the Buddhist word is dana, D-A-N-A, it's the first of the six uh, paramitas, the six perfect perfections, it means generosity or charity, um, giving, that's the other side. That uh, to the degree that you believe in karma, the law of causation, then you would do well not to just disregard it all in terms of thinking of it in terms of emptiness. In fact, somewhere Bodhidharma is 
is, the, is quoted as having said, uh, "Those who believe only only in emptiness, everything is void, everything is is empty, fall into pitch black everlasting hell." So, let us not dismiss merit or doing good. It's another word for it. Back to uh, the golden rule, uh, both versions. Um, we we are wired. I think that that any anyone in the social sciences or maybe even other sciences would not dispute that in in some basic way we are wired for sex and aggression. But that's not the end of the story. We do have this veto power. Someone handed me something uh, a while back where um, talk about this this relationship between our conditioning, our deepest impulses, even our genetic, our genetic predispositions, between that and our ability to discern and make choices, ethical decisions. And that that relationship is like the relationship between a computer's basic input-output system, BIOS, between a computer's basic input-output system and the software that we run on the computer. So the, the former the basic input-output system is something that's going on all the time uh, with our computers that we're hardly aware of, if at, if at all. We have really no uh, no ability to, to change that, or very little ability to change that. But whereas the software we choose to run on the computer, and that's really what, what matters, is that's where the interface is. We do have a choice there. And then the third of the three general resolutions is a resolve to liberate all living beings. And I'm just going to skip over that one because it's not a lot to say. It's, 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 about, it's about liberating our own compassion. And that, again, returns us to a matter of faith, that we have this compassion, all of us. Behind all of this, the three general resolutions and then the other, the ten cardinal precepts, is, is the premise that by taking vows, we are setting up, setting ourselves up in the best way. We are, we are positioning ourselves to be able to use this, the right software, uh, to be able to, um, swim upstream against these these three poisons to mix metaphors the greed anger and delusion <laughs> that there is there's in buddhism the matter of a vow or the <clears throat> intention the intention the aspiration has great importance and then all the more so when we are we do it aloud and especially when we do it aloud with others. 
so we do the we every day here we do the the uh, uh, three bodhisattva vows, and in the ceremony this afternoon we'll be taking a lot more vows. I think people sometimes get skittish. New people get skittish. They think, "Oh my God, I'm going to take these vows, and and I'm not sure I can live up to them." Don't worry about that right now. If we just by taking them, by voicing them, articulating them aloud, uh, that's that's going a long way to fortify our our best, our aspiration to live up to our true nature. We all fail at the precepts in one one way or another, not necessarily in a in a really gross way, like you know stealing or killing, but there are so many more subtle ways that we can get tripped up by one or more of these precepts, and that's that's the last thing we want to do is let that prevent us, block us from just making the intention aloud to try to live up to this, who we really are. That's the most promising thing about this kind of a ceremony is we're not trying to become something we're not. Essentially, we, we have, the, we have the, the, the potential to actually live up to all these precepts. But we know how hard that is. <clears throat> Uh, before before the three general resolutions, we take the three treasures, the three refuges. Um, and uh, these arguably are the most important of the 16 precepts, these first three. Uh, I take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And uh, here too... Um, it's important to understand what that really means. When we say, I take refuge in Buddha, we're taking refuge in our Buddha nature. And what does that mean? It means that we are, we are endeavoring, we're, 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 it means I undertake to find my home in Buddha and in the Dharma, and in the Sangha. My, it's, that's what refuge really means. It's my, my home, my deepest self, a true self that is no self. I mean, as a tradition, we can look back with gratitude to the Buddha, the historical person, Shakyamuni Buddha, um, and I don't want to completely disregard that. Otherwise, I might have changed the first of the three refuges to I, I take refuge in Buddha nature. But that's really what it is. We're taking refuge. We're, we're honoring what is most noble. Not just noble, but what is most true to us. It's not this mind of greed, anger, and delusion. It is beyond that. If you need a little more help in appreciating this Buddha nature, look at a, look at a Buddha figure. 
look at a well-made Buddha figure. It has that that magnificent dignity and nobility. And as as you go on in practice, you come to see that you're looking at yourself, your own Buddha nature. Same as doing prostrations in the zendo. We're not we're not kowtowing to this historical person. We are honoring our true nature, our essential nature. Dharma, we take refuge in Dharma, keep it to keep, just to keep it simple. Uh, we're, we're, we're taking refuge, we're trusting, that's another word for it, we're putting our fundamental trust in, here's one way of looking at it, change. The law of change. Which means we're not stuck with a self. That's the second, that's the other aspect of it is no self. It's enormously optimistic, positive vow to take that we're not going to, we're not going to take refuge in the ego self, which most most people do without knowing it, but well, these people who aren't practice any kind of religion, the three characteristics of the Dharma are uh, impermanence, no self, and suffering. We're, we're, we're t- how do you take refuge in suffering? Well, you, you take refuge in the fact, the truth, that as long as we, as long as we rely or take refuge in the things of the world, we will be left wanting. Dukkha, frustration, anxiety, dissatisfaction, that's taking refuge in worldly things. Does that mean you have to be ordained to be a monk or a nun? It means just if, to to the degree that you are counting on worldly things to bring you some kind of a ultimate peace of mind, uh, you're going to fail. And then the third, I take refuge in Sangha. That's the people in this room. It's the people listening to this talk from a distance, people who aren't here or listening, who aspire to get beyond self-centeredness, basically. And that's, that's the broadest understanding of Sangha, is it includes anyone of any religion who is trying to live not without egoistic attachments, what, what distinguishes a practice like Zen is it's not just hoping and trying to be unselfish, but, but, but having with a practice, this makes it at least attainable. On a daily basis, on a moment-to-moment, we're less likely to give way to our egoistic tendencies if we're doing daily sitting. 
There are those who say that Zen isn't a religion, it's a practice. There's a lot to that. If you, if you link it, if you see it historically as Zen Buddhism, uh, then you have to say it's, it's a religious practice. But yeah, that's what distinguishes Zen from many other kinds of religions. It's, you're doing a practice. You're not just, you're not just bowing to Mecca five times a day or going to church on Sundays as a way to get dressed up, but you're sitting every day. This is how we change. Even before the three refuges and the three general resolutions, we do this repentance ritual um, through words. And uh, repentance is probably anyone could appreciate. It's just a, a way to to help clear away the obstructive effects of guilt and other emotions that uh, that often come as a result of harmful behavior. It's a way to uh, hit the reset button, reboot, before we move into the 16 precepts. We do it three times. Uh, some, other, some of these vows we do three times, um, and that's just a way to really have it sink more deeply. First time we're, we're reciting a vow, uh, we could be a bit distracted. Second time, maybe not as distracted. The third time, even less. It's a way to get a hold of the mind, our, to get our attention on it more by doing it three times. <clears throat> repentance, in repentance, we, is the acknowledgement that we can't rewind our past actions. We can't expunge them. But we can vow. There's that word again. We can vow to in our to do better. And in, in, in that act of remorse that we, again, we verbalize aloud. That's the key thing. In that act of remorse, we, we, are ch- we change ourself. At least for a little while. That's what that's what adds up. Little here, a little there. Many of you know the, the ten cardinal precepts. Uh, in recent years, I've wanted to encourage people who want to hear these in more detail to go to uh, one a podcast of one of my Tay shows on the precepts. You still can do that today, should you want, want to. But I'm going to just look at these ten quickly um, in terms of how, how, how much harder it is, it can be, how much harder it can be uh, through our involvement in the Internet. Number one, a resolve not to kill, but to cherish all life. You hear stories about how suicide um, can come as a result of all the stuff one gets involved in online, one's own suicide, 
and even there's one I just heard about recently where some some girl um, was drove her boyfriend uh, to commit suicide through her horrible things she was saying uh, about him. Well, we know it's never that simple. He, it's not. He has his own responsibility in it, but there it is. On online, people are more likely to be rendered as, well, as virtual people, not true face-to-face people, as abstractions. I think this is why there's their, the internet is so implicated in mass shootings. And again, the uh, horrid, horrid political stuff that's going on now. It has a way of denaturing us. Um, even just from not being exposed to the outdoors, here's so much about people, especially young people or anyone who just gets so sucked into hours on the internet that they lose all connection to the to the, the world of nature, and that that then that itself denatures us, and we we become kind of killed. Second precept, not to take what is not given, which is kind of a stricter way of saying not to steal, because there are various ways we can find to justify um, taking what is not given to us. The only thing I could come up with this was uh, fraud, online fraud, that we can contribute to by... uh, naively getting involved in, in stuff there. So it seems more likely. And frauds always happen to human beings, but I think it's more likely now. I hear it's more likely. The third is uh, a resolve not to misuse sexuality, but to be caring and responsible. Well, it's, I think that's one of the more obvious precepts that uh, we get caught uh, online. And I've read a that how online pornography um, curdles has the power, if, if, if we have a steady diet of that kind of imagery, how our, our um, how we become coarsened in our relationships, our sexual relationships. And we objectify others, and then we know also about how sex slavery uh, child pornography has been just turbocharged through online in- involvements, abuse of women. The fourth is uh, not to lie, but to speak the truth. Uh, it's not so much, you know. I guess when you don't, when you don't, we only have virtual per- people to deal with, and can more easily um, pose as what you're not on Facebook or other other platforms, misrepresenting yourself. Look at fake news, all the deceit that happens online. The fifth is uh, not to cause others to take to abuse alcohol or drugs, nor to do so oneself, but to keep the mind clear. This can be understood more broadly, interpreted more broadly as any compulsive or addictive behavior. 
and there too the internet's just waiting to to heighten that amplify it compulsive shopping video games gambling technology itself one can be addicted they're talking more more writers are talking about addiction to the internet Six and seven may be the most obvious ways in which the internet um, heightens uh, the risk of violating these precepts. So they're they're almost the same. The sixth is I resolve I resolve not to speak of the faults of others, and the seventh is I resolve not to praise myself and disparage others. And all you have to think about is all the trolling and the toxic kind of things that happen so easily online because they're just people are are not real i mean the people you encounter are not are not don't appear to be real it's virtual virtual targets or virtual people that become targets and they've always people have always violated these precepts uh, speaking the faults of others and praising oneself and disparaging others but again it seems from everything I've read that this just is taken to the nth degree, uh, facilitated by the Internet. The eighth is seems to be an exception to the others as far as having it heightened, amplified through the Internet. The eighth is resolve not to withhold spiritual or material aid. Um, in terms of material aid, I think we can more easily give, render material aid online now than ever before. It makes it so easy. We just uh, we just decided to uh, change our our uh, mechanics for membership contributions uh, so that people will be able to pay pay their dues online in one lump sum. Uh, or as a as a alternative to set up a recurring monthly payment, uh, just like any other online subscription. The ninth precept is uh, not to indulge in anger, as another obvious one, of where our our tendency our our tendency to get angry is unleashed online, venting, verbal abuse. I've never once gone into any of these platforms because I've heard enough about them. Why would I want to? Why would I want to see any of that? And the tenth is not to revile the three treasures. Uh, and this is, this is very, this is a profound precept. It kind of often gets, because it's not so specific, but uh, it's really kind of what they all come down to. Um, the three, the the three treasures we already mentioned: Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. Um, one th- th- thought I had about this is that the more we, uh, the more time we spend online, uh, the more we're awash in data and information. Um, this fire hose of information uh, when we open the computer. Um, the more we can be depleted and 
and um, and and have what is beyond words and information have that obscured. We get buried in information. They found now that the mere presence of your smartphone near you reduces brain power. And brain power is part of our true nature. There's cognitive uh, decline that happens. Our, and then the, 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 just the general divisiveness that is promoted by the internet um, is something that further deceives us about the fundamental unity of all beings. Well, I th- I, we've run out of time now. I hope that uh, none of you will shy away from the ceremony this afternoon because you think you're not ready. We're, 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 we're very allowing, very welcoming about this. There are most, uh, some other Zen centers uh, to, to take this, this uh, ceremony, Jukai, is equivalent to being ordained. And they have to go through weeks or months of study and working with a mentor, a preceptor. Um, our, our way has always been this much broader, easier way where we invite anyone who can sit still for, for the, the ceremony. It's only, I don't know, half an hour, 25 minutes to come. And uh, one last thing, if you can find a chance to sit before coming to the ceremony, and you can sit here, the Zendel will be open, then it's just going to to enhance the whole experience just because we go in with a mind of a of a openness, clarity, purity. All right, we'll stop now and recite the four vows. All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot harm against beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Armageddon beyond measure. I vow to meditate. The great way of Buddha, I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Armageddon beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. 
Hi, now to attain.